Thank you for listening to this week's message from North Shore Christian Church. For more information about North Shore, please visit northshorechristian.org. I have here uh, Thomas Griffin. He is our campus pastor. He oversees, yeah, I hear a yeah back there. Uh, that was from online too. I was yelling pretty loud. Uh, he oversees safety, security, facilities, our custodial team here for our church and our academy. He's a God sent. Uh, God brought uh, him over here whenever that was, relatively recently. When was that? In November. And he's been such an amazing addition to our team. It's been wonderful. And then he also brought his daughter uh, over time. She, uh, you moved uh, up here from San Diego. Uh, how long ago? Right before the school year, right? And so she is an assistant to Heather Shaw, who is a principal within our academy from uh, third grade through fifth grade. And she's an awesome uh, support to Heather and to our academy office and in our team there as well. So we get to celebrate a baptism and it's actually uh, father baptizing daughter as uh, we believe in the priesthood of all believers that God has called us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and uh, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you because I'm going to be with you wherever you go, Jesus said, Matthew 28. Baptism is a wonderful picture. It's, it's a simple picture that a kid can understand of uh, someone being clean, someone being cleansed. Now the water isn't special. It's the same water that's within your house that you get from the tap. It's the spirit of God that cleanses us from the inside out. As we accept Jesus Christ, acknowledge him as our Lord and our savior. He says, I want you to be my disciple. Follow me, be changed by me, be committed to my mission. And with that, Baptism is that step, is a, is a key step, a key ingredient in obedience and faith in following Jesus. And it's the symbolism of being buried underwater, just like Jesus died to himself and was buried. He asks us to unite with him, be identified with him in that death of self. And that's not where it stops. And then being raised to life anew. And so as Jesus is resurrected, it's this picture of a lot of things. It's this symbolism of new life, death, burial, resurrection, and our obedience to follow Jesus. Jesus was baptized. He commands everyone who's going to follow him to be baptized. And then when you have, you're to baptize other people. Amen? And so we get to have this dad uh, share in this story, in this journey. Alexis, you have a wonderful testimony that you want to uh, share and bless us with it. So please do share. Okay. I might cry when I read this because I definitely cried when I wrote it. <laughs> I have been a Christian for my entire life. There was never a moment when I didn't believe in God. There was a time, however, <laughs> I wasn't expecting to cry this early. <laughs> when I was unintentionally distant from him. I say unintentionally due to the fact that I was raised in a strong Christian household and it was all I ever knew. I was comfortable in a life where I went to church every Sunday, never actually reflecting on the words that were being said to me. I did not know anything else growing up, and I did not realize 
that pursuing God meant a lot more effort than what I was putting in. So I became stagnant within my faith without realizing it or knowing what that meant. As I got older, I graduated, moved away, and went to college. Moved around some more afterwards and eventually found myself unhappy in Colorado. You can't cry either because you're going to make <laughs> me cry more. <laughs> Surrounded by unhappy people. I decided it was time for a change and I moved back to where I was born, San Diego. By doing so, I did not know that I had kick-started what was about to be the craziest two years of my entire life. It kind of felt as though I was doomed from the start. For example, the third day I was there, I fell down a flight of stairs and I fractured my skull. After that, it seemed as if chaos was infiltrating every aspect of my existence, and despite my best efforts, I could not escape. These were things that were out of my control and always left everyone's jaws on the floor whenever I would say what happened. My life kind of felt like a movie and I was just wondering what was going to happen next. However, I kept a positive attitude, eventually moving into an apartment downtown. That was where things truly got interesting. San Diego is super expensive, so the only way I could afford to live downtown was by living in the worst part of town where crime was at its peak. My particular building seemed to have a dark cloud surrounding it. Every day, cops were called to different units and you always heard someone screaming from somewhere. And there I was, right in the middle of it. This is where I experienced spiritual warfare firsthand. The air of this environment was so thick and overrun by, by what I could only describe as evil that physically breathing required more effort than normal. There were parts of the building that I refused to even go to because, for lack of a better word, they were wrong. I would be huddled in my bed in fear, feeling like I was sitting in the ocean with the waves, waves lightly pushing me back and forth physically and emotionally. I was being fought over. In turn, all I could do all day and night was pray. I prayed for days, weeks, turning into months on end, only ever stopping if someone else interrupted my internal conversations. The only way I could get any sleep was if I put a headband with Bluetooth speakers on, blasted worship music in my ears, pulled my hoodie over my eyes with my Bible open laying next to me and my hand on it. Keep, keeping my 85-pound dog close to me didn't hurt either. I found myself singing the VeggieTales song, God is Bigger Than the Boogeyman, <laughs> at the top of my lungs whenever I was cooking or taking a shower. Slowly but surely, my apartment turned into a light in the darkness, being the only place that had easily breathable air. Despite everything that was happening in my life, I had never been closer to God. Then it clicked. I was driving to work one day, and I said out loud, 
I get it. If this is what it takes for me to be as close to you as I am, then I hope I am never comfortable. And I hope I never find rest. There I was, essentially begging for a difficult, uncomfortable life, and God responded. He responded with comfort, peace, and rest. Immediately, the things that were keeping me in San Diego began leaving my life. Friendships, relationships, jobs, and so forth. And the doors began opening here in Washington. So I took the hint. And it has been amazing. <laughs> when I arrived, my Bible app notified me of the verse of the day. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. That first night, I fell asleep almost instantly with no headphones and no hood covering my eyes. Today, I have an understanding of what pursuing God means. It means deeply studying and reflecting on the word, not just memorizing it. It means trying to find answers to questions that I might not initially know to ask, but being content with the fact that I might not always get them. Above all, it means listening to what God is trying to tell me and put it into action. In World War I, Germany surrendered and the war was won at 5 a.m. on November 11th, but the ceasefire didn't begin until 11 a.m. The war for humanity is already won. But the ceasefire doesn't begin until the Lord comes back. Giving the enemy time to take plenty of people down with him. This is a war where fighting looks like listening. I have been convicted to get baptized today and I have no business ever ignoring what God is trying to tell me to do. Up until this weekend, I thought I was incredibly nervous to get up here to get baptized. I was a little nervous to speak in front of people, but <laughs> changing the perspective allowed me to realize it was not nervousness, but building overwhelming excitement. Excitement because I wholeheartedly trust in God, and this is when I let him start the new chapter in my life. This is when the ceasefire begins for me. To me, baptisms are a proclamation of that testimony and faith a chance to give glory to the one who brought me here today to share part of my story, even if my voice shakes. Amen. Good job. That's my girl. That's right. Amen, dude. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Alexis, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Do you believe that he died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins and was buried and resurrected from the dead? Yes. Have you placed your faith in Jesus and accepted him as your Lord and Savior? Yes. In obedience to follow the Lord's command to be baptized and because of your public profession of faith in him, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, 
and the Holy Spirit. So proud. That's so cool. I love it. That's awesome, man. Passionately pursuing Jesus. Amen? And it looks like a lot of different things within our lives. And uh, as we are continuing on this in this series, um, my name is Pat Lassard. If you're new, I get to be one of the pastors here. Uh, we've been talking about Welcome to North Shore. Uh, that's the series that we're in right now, and uh, we're excited about it. Um, as we've been talking about, this is the next season for North Shore, and we say that because with 30 years of previous leaderships over, over the course of North Shore, and then the last three and a half years under our uh, lead pastor, Scott Harris, two of those have been COVID, so you just got to take those out. You know, this just doesn't count, right? And then we have a year and a half of uh, fruitful, fruitful ministry taking traction again and, and all those things. And this is just a beautiful demonstration of what God, uh, one of the things that God is doing here that we get to join together in, celebrate in, uh, partner with. You know, it's a, it's a commitment like that of saying, I am, I am following Jesus. That commitment is not a standalone independent thing. It's, it is a family thing. It is a decision in a community because she can't walk it out by herself, right? We have to walk together with one another. That is one of the reasons why Jesus established his church, his church, which is something that we've said. There's, there's some things that we set up in this series that we said, we're hoping to accomplish these things, starting with this is, this is Jesus's church, right? First and foremost, above anyone else's, right? It's his, and we want to keep the main thing the main thing. Also from there, we want clarity. We want clarification. This is who we are. This is what we believe. This is what we're about. This is how we go about ministry, as well as unification, because we're all different people. We have different thoughts, different feelings, different beliefs, different convictions. How do we, right, circle up around the most important things, and work together in that. And then lastly, it's an invite. It's an invite because we all have parts in this process. We all have parts in this team. We all have parts in this family. If you don't do your part, if I don't do my part, it doesn't work, right? Uh, it's like a body. If you have a, a member of the body, a physical body that doesn't work, then it starts kind of breaking things down. And so, and this is also, uh, we would encourage you too, that this is an invitation for you to extend to others. If you have family, if you have friends, you got coworkers that aren't going to church, they're not connected to a church right now, this would be an awesome opportunity to, as we walk through fundamentals of who we are, what the church is, for them to come and be a part of. You never know how one invitation can change a person's life. It starts with an invitation, right? And the trajectory of their lives could change forever. You never know how God will use that. And so 
Uh, at the end of this series, we will give you an opportunity in the middle of November to become a member if you're not a member, and we'll explain why that matters, and, uh, and it'll, be, it'll be awesome. So, so as we continue in this series, that's what we're about. That's what we're doing in this series. So we, uh, if you need a Bible, we'll have our ushers go through um, and uh, make them available to you online as well. Uh, we've got a link there. Our vision as we went over last week is to see our communities changed through hope in Jesus one person at a time. Now that's our goal, that's our target, that's our destination. Now how we get there is what we call our vision path. It's the path to it. And there's four paths, there's four legs of the race. We're gonna talk about three of those today. And we see that, uh, why we picked these, why, why we believe God led us to these is because this is the path of Jesus. This is the path of a follower of Jesus. This is the path of being like Jesus, also known as spiritual maturity. And so that's our calling of what we're about. Now, we're not, in this series, we're not going to look at one verse, especially today. We're not going to look at one verse, but we're going to look at many verses. Because there's not one verse, just one definitive text that we look at to say, this is where this comes from. But it's rather a theme. It's a red thread throughout the Bible or the New Testament or the calling of the church that we high center on some of these things and say, we have to do these things and do them well. They have to be distinct characteristics of us. For someone to come to North Shore, they have to be able to see and not have to look very far at going, they are about this, okay? So those, those are the three things that we're gonna be talking about today of the four. Now, in topical preaching, like we're doing today and in this series, there is, there is a, a danger. There's the potential of taking a verse and using it outside of context, outside of what the original author originally meant. So we need to be cautious against that. Now, in all fairness, I've seen that done with line-by-line line preaching and, and chapter-by-chapter chapter preaching as well. It's, it's what you do with the text. And so we want to be careful to stay true to what the original author originally meant with the original audience. Once we've done that, then we can accurately apply it to however many biblical applications it may have in our lives. So as we do this, this is the key guarding against false teaching. This is the key guarding against false teaching in, 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 uh, unintentionally or uh, what, intentionally, right? False teaching. That'd be the opposite of unintentionally, right? So we want to get out of Scripture what's truly in Scripture, not make it say what it doesn't actually say, in order for it to line up with our own personal agendas or thoughts or feelings. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. That was a kind of a weak one, but I'll give you that. Our vision, to see our communities changed through hope in Jesus one person at a time. It starts with passionately pursuing Jesus. And you just saw a radical demonstration of that. I love that. Man, I love, I'm a sucker for testimonies. I came to know the Lord because of someone's testimony. Anybody else in here? Someone shared their story and it brought you to Christ? 
I am the only one. Okay. Oh, I see one person back there. Okay. I love that. I, I'm, I'm happy for her in the healing that God does by sharing a story and how it ministers to others. Anyone else ministered to by her story? So cool. Love it. Passionately pursuing Jesus. We'll spend most of our time here today because everything else flows from it. Now, when we say passionately pursuing Jesus, we're not excluding passionately pursuing the Holy Spirit or passionately pursuing the Father or passionately pursuing the Trinity. We believe that if you are genuinely passionately pursuing the real Jesus, you are passionately pursuing the Spirit. You are passionately pursuing the Father. That happens naturally in that. They are inseparable. More on that in two weeks with Sanjay. It's going to be good. But it starts with Jesus, okay? And so we're going to look at uh, examples, a number of examples of passionately pursuing God. And, uh, and so let's jump in here. Matthew 26, 6 through 8. And they'll be up on the screen here. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster, alabaster flask of very expensive ointment. And she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw that, they were indignant, saying, why this waste? We're not going to spend a lot of time in these passages explaining all the details. We're going to highlight how do we see this demonstrate this passionate pursuit. We see this woman, she came to the acknowledgement. She came to the agreement. She came to the understanding that Jesus is the Lord, the Savior of all. She acknowledged that. And then she literally poured out her gratitude onto Jesus through this passionate act of worship and sacrifice and gratitude. She passionately pursued him. It's this extravagant example of her love for Jesus, submission to Jesus, acknowledgement of Jesus in this radical demonstration, this passionate proclamation that she made in this real private setting. It's a beautiful example. I want to look at another wonderful example. Second Samuel, it's going to be hard if you're a page turner to catch up with me here, but you try, okay? Second Samuel chapter 6, verse 16 says this. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out of her window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. David was overjoyed with the presence of God, the altar of God, the throne, rather, of God, being among the people of God. And he passionately demonstrated that publicly through praise and worship and dancing undignified. He held nothing back for his king. There is one that matters the most here, and he publicly displayed that passionately. Now, in these two examples, I want you to notice something. In your passionate pursuit, as well as we see David's and this woman's, in your passionate pursuit of God, whether it's in a private setting or if it's in a public setting, 
there are going to be people that don't agree with what you're doing, don't like what you're doing, won't understand what you're doing in your passionate pursuit of Jesus, sometimes flat out think it's foolish. Right? There are some people that were confused. They didn't get it. Why is she doing that? Why is he doing that? That's going to happen in your passion pursuit of God. When you make him the main thing of the main thing and you pursue him and, and other opinions don't matter as much as his and that wins the day, it's going to be confusing to other people. I remember one time when I was meeting with a financial counselor, advisor, talking through money and numbers and, and future and all that stuff. And they had asked, hey, I see that you give a lot to the church. And I didn't think a lot. We'll just say in quotes, you know, subjective. You give a lot to the church. What would you think about giving less in order to accomplish some of these other goals? I said, mm, it's a priority, so no. And they said, well, what about just for like a year? How about just for a year, you just give less to the church so that you can like really kind of take some ground here? And I said, it, it's a priority, you know? And, and they're like, okay, you know? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? It, it's a passionate pursuit of mine. It's something that we celebrate here weekly in that giving to God and God's things and supporting his work in and through his church, right? It's a part of the passionate pursuit. Now, what I want you to see here in these different examples is that passionately pursuing Jesus is not one dimensional. It doesn't look like just one thing. It actually looks like a lot of different things. I think about Jesus's words, uh, what is pleasing worship to the Father? Well, it's, it's worshiping in spirit and in truth. It is by the spirit, it's through the spirit, and it is based off of what is true, right, good, and pure. It's based off of his character. It's following him in truth. And so that's gonna, that, that spectrum is gonna look like a lot of different things. Let's look at another one. In Jesus' own example, Mark 1, verse 35, says this. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. This is a quiet example of passionately pursuing Jesus, or in Jesus' example, the Father. He got away, he peeled back, and he sought solitude and silence and he spent time with the father drawing near to the father hearing from the father speaking to the father in his passionate pursuit of the father which is psalm 46's words be still and know that i'm god can you passionately pursue god by being still and knowing that he is god Amen. It's not one-dimensional. It looks like a lot of different things. It looks like a lot of different things. Let's talk about that word briefly here, passion. Here's the English definition that we use, a strong desire, a strong desire, right? If you're thinking about your passion about something, a strong desire or devotion to a person, activity, object, or concept. In the Greek as well as Latin, uh, it means to suffer. How do you reconcile those? 
right? Passion and suffering. I think Alexis's testimony was a great picture of that. This quote says it really well. This is a, a theologian, uh, Jurgen Moltmann. He says, passion is loving something enough to suffer for it. I'll say it a different way. If you're not willing to suffer for it, then you're not truly passionate about it. And when we look at Jesus' example, you don't have to look very far within his life, let alone his death on the cross, to know that he was passionate. Let's look at one more verse here. Philippians 3, 8 through 11. This is Paul's example along these lines. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, as garbage, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, doing good, doing right, following, staying within the lines, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that is this, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings. How many of you want to sign up for that? It's part of following Christ. It, it is a non-negotiable to Christ. You want to follow Christ, be changed by Christ, committed to the mission of Christ? When Jesus' teachings were too hard, that's when they're like, oh, no, no, I don't want to, I was good with following you as long as you are feeding me and doing these miracles, but like now that it actually like costs me, I'm out. And then Jesus says to his disciples, what about you guys, right? Peter says, "Where, where else would we go? Where else would we go? You're it. You're the one. You have the words of eternal life. You're, you're it. You're the one. You're the Messiah. You're the Christ. To share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, like Alexis's example, like baptism, that picture, right? That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead passionately pursuing Jesus. Looks like a lot of different things. I want you to notice something in this passage that we don't see, okay? Suffering for being selfish, self-centered, prideful, unapologetic, arrogant, abrasive, or argumentative is not suffering for Christ. You want me to say that again? Suffering, suffering for being sinful, selfish, prideful, unapologetic. You won't apologize, right? Arrogant, abrasive, or argumentative is not suffering for Christ. So let's not get it twisted, you know, when we're in the middle of Christian relationship and it's fallen apart and that we count that up, chalk that up, or we're in a relationship, Christian or not, and it's like, oh, I'm just suffering for Jesus because, well... Not really. Okay? The last thing I want to say about this is there's numerous other passages that we could go to talking about struggling and wrestling with God, like your relationship with the Lord. Like David's words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That started with David coming from somewhere. 
right, from a deep place. Think about Jeremiah the prophet. God, why, why have you left me? In, in our own relationship, as, as you journey with the Lord and, and you're seasoned, um, there, there's a seasoning by fire where um, at times for many, your relationship with the Lord is dry. Your relationship with the Lord is hard. He is silent. Like, where are you? Why? Why? And I would say, as you keep talking to him, why <laughs> and how, how are you at work in this? That is passionately pursuing Jesus too. You're still talking to him, right? You're still talking to him. You still have your eyes fixed on him. It's confusing as all get out. You're like, God, what are you doing? It sure seems like you're not doing anything. Feels like you're leaving, letting me down. But in that, you're still talking to him. You haven't set him aside. You haven't went the other way and denounced him. That too is passionately pursuing Jesus. So I hope just kind of in these examples, passionately pursuing Jesus is not one dimensional, right? But it's a wide spectrum with lots of experiences. Let me ask you, how would you describe your passion for Jesus? How would you describe your pursuit of Jesus? How many dimensions of your life is Jesus ruling and reigning in? Would it be some? Would it be none? Would it be all? And what would Jesus say? Let's take a moment right now and let's just pray. How would you describe your passion for Jesus? How would you describe your pursuit of Jesus? How many dimensions of your life is Jesus ruling and reigning in? What would he say? Let's pray. God, may you continue to lead us and guide us. God, may you tune our eyes and our ears to you. What it is you're doing, what it is you're wanting to do. In Jesus' name. Our vision, to see our communities changed through hope in Jesus one person at a time. It starts with passionately pursuing Jesus and then it flows into, it naturally overflows into radically loving one another. I love how Damien often describes radically loving one another, uh, radical meaning uncommon, extreme, abnormal, beyond normal boundaries, beyond cultural norms, this radical love. Now we won't spend a lot of time here because we spent a lot of time here over the summer. We spent nine weeks in the summer talking about radical love in a variety of ways, radically loving the outcast or your rival, radically loving in service, radically loving in offense. 
or between generations or going after the one or the Good Samaritan story. So we have that. You can look back at that if you'd like. But I do want to look at a couple verses. It's a key one. John 13, 34 through 35 says this, Jesus' words, A new command I give to you that, you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, that is loving one another, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have over one another, <laughs> right? Love for one another. It's a pretty big deal. According to Jesus, he commands you to it. You have to do it. He, outside of making you do it, it's a really big deal to Jesus that you love one another. Not talk about it, not having it be a stencil on your wall, right? But it is on your heart, written on your heart that you do it. You don't have to feel it. He wants you to do it. Can I get an amen? Amen. <laughs> Let's look at one more verse here, okay? Romans 12, verse four through five. We looked at this a couple weeks ago regarding the church. For as in one body, that is a physical body, think of your own, we have many members, many parts, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, now us, the church, though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So as God has loved you, you are to love. As God has forgiven you, you are to forgive. As God has been gracious and patient and kind to you, so you are to be those things for others, even those that are against you. Even those that have something against you. They hold a grudge against you. Even those. Also, in this, in this calling, this radically loving one another, God did not design you to do life alone. It's one of the reasons why he made the church. Not for you to come and go to church, but for you to be a part of church to truly know others and be known by others. Do you know many adults don't have close friends that they're really real with? It's sad. I think Satan has done a really good job at creating self-protective measures. We do a good job keeping people at distance, not letting them know certain things. And that's not what God wants. We are to be shrewd as serpents and gentle as doves in the world. But God has designed us for relationship, to be in relationship. That's not being set free. God wants more for you, something deeper, something better. He actually wants to heal those things and set you free so that you can walk in the light in community. He has designed you for relationships to be genuine and real and transparent and vulnerable with safe and trustworthy people that you can call friends. And the last thing I want to say in this is God has designed you to contribute and to receive as an active member of the local body for your health, for your maturity, and for the effectiveness of your faith. 
as well as when you contribute, how it blesses and serves others, health and effectiveness of faith and maturity. It is a mutual deal. And then it allows God to do what all that he's wanted to do in and through this place. So if you're on the bench, we want to invite you off the bench. You're missing out and we're missing out. And that's online as well. And if you're just coming and going, that may be just the right thing right here, right now in your maturity in this season of life, but that's not where God wants to keep you. You're missing out and we're missing out. And if you're ready to connect, we're ready to connect. So just as Scott said, you can find any of the blue shirt people and we would love to help you find those next steps. Go to our next steps table. We have, I think, 67 various life groups, men's and women's and seniors and young adults and middle school and high school and mixed and recovery and, 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 right? Throughout our cities for the purpose of radically loving one another and that expression of the church. Let's keep going. Our vision is to see our communities change through hope in Jesus one person at a time. And it starts with passionately pursuing Jesus. It naturally overflows into radically loving one another. And then it matures into compassionately serving our neighbors. One verse I want to look at with this is Matthew 20, verse 25 through 28. It says this, But Jesus called them to him and said, You know, that the rulers of the Gentiles, that is unbelievers out there in the world, right? Lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. That is out in the world, you've got bosses that it's about power. It's all about power and control. Out in the world, that's how the world handles power and control and significance and meaning and worth by being in charge, okay? It shall not be so among you, the church. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you're a leader and you're not a servant, in Jesus's eyes, you're not really a leader. You're not. In his kingdom perspective, To be a leader, you have to be a servant. To serve others, to serve the needs of others. I love uh, this word, compassion. I've seen it uh, described a couple different ways. I've seen it described as mercy plus action. That's what compassion is. Or even in the Latin, and I'll connect these two dots here. Latin is to suffer with. To suffer with. So if we look at Compassion, and we looked at that word passion earlier. It said it means in Latin to suffer, and then compassion is to suffer with. So we are to be compassionately serving our neighbors. We've often said as well regarding, well, who's my neighbor? Right? That was asked of Jesus. Well, who's my neighbor? Do I have to, (laughs) right? And that was about the Good Samaritan story. And it points to anybody who is different than you. That's Jesus's way. For you to suffer with anyone who is different than you. 
That's the Jesus calling. You want to be a leader? Be a servant. I want to highlight here a variety of ways that we serve within North Shore. Many of you serve within North Shore or were a part of a lot of these different kind of pieces as well as an invitation to go, hey, if you're not yet, man, where would the Lord have you? Because we're not bored and we're not twiddling our thumbs. There's lots of opportunities here. Would you actually go to the, the first one? Um, sorry, the next one there. So internationally, here are our missions partners, as well as locally, our missions partners. These are people, these are organizations across the world, as well as our community here that we are partnered with, that we are committed to. They are aligned with us and we're going about Jesus's work together. Part of our giving, as, as you give here, we actually give as well. We actually tithe. We give 10% out, outside of these walls. Uh, 8% of that goes to our local and international missions partners, as well as 2% goes to the Relational Discipleship Network in continuing to advance God's call of discipleship in and through um, relational discipleship. So you actually support this as you give and God's work going on uh, across the world as well as locally. And then within these walls, we have 26 ministries. Maybe you could, there you go. Oh, yeah. oh, we're almost. And nope. We'll get there. Yeah, let's start from the beginning. Let's record. There you go. Boom, there it is. We have 26 different ministries. There's lots of different expressions within the body to serve, to bless, to utilize giftings. God wants to use you. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, how God has given you gifts by his grace. He's given you certain experiences or personality or passions or interests and spiritual gifts to be used to bless others, to edify the body, to, to serve others, to represent him well, to glorify him. And he's made you differently, right? But the only way to receive that gift is to use the gift. If you don't use the gift, then you're not actually receiving the gift. And so there's opportunity. Now, as I started this, talking about this, compassionately serving our neighbors, it's an essential part of maturing in Christ. In order to be like Christ, you have to be serving. Now there's opportunities to serve outside of the church. There's opportunities to serve within the church. The question is, how are you allowing God to use you? How are you allowing God to use you in all that you are? You don't have to know it all and have it all figured out. God wants to use you. Wherever you are, God wants to use you outside the church and inside the church. How are you allowing God to use you? Now, there's a few of you that actually need to do less. You're actually doing too many things where if you don't get out of the way, no one else will actually step into the way. That's, that's real. There's, but there's a few of us that that's true for. But that's a real part of maturing as well, releasing for the next season, the next people to be able to run that new race for them, for them to learn and grow and be stretched in those ways. Some people among us right now, so, how's God using you? 
How are you allowing God to use me? A prayer I've often prayed is, God, use me however you see fit. It's a little scary, and it's uncomfortable at times, but it's a good one. I've seen him answer it a bunch. And my life has been changed by opportunities that other people have afforded me to serve. It started within the church, somebody saying, hey, you look like a guy who'd like to serve communion or be willing to serve communion, however he phrased it. And it changed my life. Couldn't believe that somebody would entrust me with those sacred elements to serve the body of Christ within church. You're kidding me. And then there was another opportunity. Hey, would you consider co-leading with me in this small group? And then bigger opportunities like... Um, I want to walk through those. We, we are about to go into a, a gauntlet of serving opportunities um, in October, November, and December. In October, we have historically done a serving night on Halloween. It's a dark night. And we want to infiltrate it with the light of Jesus. And so we step out of ourselves and out of our comfort. And we want to be Jesus's ambassadors and representatives to represent him well on a dark night. And so in two weeks, we'll be unfolding what our plans are this year to be able to reach out in that time. In November, we have what we call Basket of Hope. It's a way for us to circle up resources to bless others with a Thanksgiving meal, some people that are in need that we can come alongside with in a compassionate way. And then similarly, in December, we do Tree of Hope and we bless so many people from our academy partnership and other local missions partners. We partner together and we bless so many people. God allows us to bless so many people with some Christmas blessing. Families and individuals and single parents, and it's awesome. So we invite you into that to partner with us. So there's opportunity there. And with that, I just want to land the plane here with this. What's your next step? What's the Lord kind of stirring? What's the Lord kind of like highlighting What's standing out to you regarding passionately pursuing Jesus? How are you doing? How's your passion? How's your pursuit? Regarding radically loving one another, that call, that command, that stretching and growing that the Lord's wanting to do in you. And that call of compassion to suffer with, to suffer alongside. How's God using you? How are you allowing God to use you wherever you are? At work, as you're driving, within here. What's God gifted you? Are you using it? So we're excited about this next season of North Shore. And we invite you in to all that God may be doing here.